This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Friday, which means the weekly news panel gets together saying hello and good morning to Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuig. Hello, Joita. Good morning, Dave. And good morning to Michelle. Good morning, friends. All right, let's jump right into it. British Columbia is phasing out the pap test for cancer screening in favor of mail-in kits collected by patients. Premier David Eby describes the process. British Columbians will be able to order this test for themselves online. It'll be delivered to your home. You can do it at home by yourself or in partnership with a healthcare professional. You mail it in in an envelope and you get the results in a few weeks. BC residents can request kits as of January the 29th. The Canadian Cancer Society (laughs) and the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists does support the decision. Michelle, I put that last little bit on there because I think that's important and it does tinge my feeling on this story a little bit because when Mm -hmm. I first read it and I first saw this policy, I thought to myself, oh man, I don't know if I trust humans to be in charge of their own health screening. But (laughs) if there are medical associations who have expertise and knowledge on this, who say, no, this is a good idea and we think other provinces should follow suit, that does change my viewpoint a little bit. I still have skepticism. But how do you feel about provinces asking residents to engage in self-screening? Yeah, I I empathize with you on a lot of this. I had a similar initial reaction, but in in, in addition to the endorsement from the associations, I think the thing that really helps sort of reconcile me to it a little more than perhaps I might be otherwise, although I have concerns too, is the science behind it. So there is apparently quite a lot of evidence, including a big peer-reviewed Canadian-led study, 20,000 plus patients, et cetera, um, that proves that scanning for HPV is actually a better determinant and better preventative measure to address cervical cancer than what they were testing for before. So not only is are the, are the associations sort of supporting this, it sounds like there's science to support the fact that they're screening now for something better and that that screening can be done at home. So I think there's a certain amount of logic behind this, but I have concerns for sure, um, not just around your general human cynicism, Dave, although, you know, fair, um, but... I have accessibility concerns in a big way about mm-hmm. self-administered tests of any kind. Uh, this is something that there has not been many of accessible tests, whether it's pregnancy tests or COVID tests. Mm. I don't mm-hmm. see why HPV tests would be any different at all. And so that's a big, big concern that I have among among a few others, but I'll stop talking. Now. Well, no, no, no but Michelle, <laughs> I'm glad you raised that point. And Joita, I heard you make a sound of affirmation when Michelle mentioned accessibility. I think one slipped out of me as well. So we can get into that specificity in a second, but I'd, but I'd like to give you the same opportunity to generally react to the idea of people being in charge of their own self-screening. Well, on paper, it's a good idea. There's a large study and there was a pilot, in fact, that 
approves that points to the efficacy of this approach and it says that you know early detection is obviously a good thing um the fact that it detects the presence of the hpv virus means that there is a better prognosis for those who are diagnosed with cervical cancer and hopefully a higher survival rate and and and, and all of that is of course unquestionably a good thing and also if you think back to other forms of cancer such as colon cancer we do have uh, ways to test for those at home and people are encouraged to take the tests and um, report and 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 have their primary care providers look into the findings and follow right, up care right. if that's required so there are there are it's not a you know it's not a completely a, a bolt from the blue uh, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it works the endorsement from the Canadian Cancer Society and others is nothing is is nothing to sneeze at yeah exactly uh, because, you know, yeah, it it, it yeah. does lend a, a veneer of legitimacy to the whole thing. And yet, if you look at the article you sent us, Dave, right there, tucked in towards the end is, this is a great way to get around the wait times we've been having for most types of screening. And then you go, okay, well, <laughs> hang on a second. Yeah, so yeah. how much is this is about the science? And how much of this is about cutting back on wait times and dealing with systemic issues? Are we making individuals responsible for system-wide failures that we have talked about in, at length on this panel? So I'm not going to get into it at this precise moment. But along with the accessibility concerns, I have concerns around other populations as well. Um, particularly the homeless or underhoused population, which yes. and and people who have uh, maybe opioid addictions and other reasons why they may not have access to uh, uh, housing or even access to the internet for that matter. I mean, we heard off the top in that clip where they're saying, "Well, you can just order it online," but that presumes a lot of things. It assumes you have an address and it yep. assumes you have access mm -hmm. to the internet. So there are a number of, of of facets to this conversation. It's an interesting idea. I'm not going to knock it and say, "Oh, it's a terrible idea." What I will say, caution is that it's a good complement to existing approaches. Yeah, a complementary yes. approach, right? And I think that's where the, again, the endorsement of these societies, these medical associations really, really, really matters because they're saying, no, no, this is an effective way. The science backs this up. It's worth exploring. But that's the thing, Joita, you mentioned that last little addendum on the article, which is where my cynicism lies beyond the possibility of human error. Because these endorsements aside, if we start talking more broadly about putting the onus of testing on individuals rather than trained professionals, Michelle, that's what starts to get me thinking about this as a spaghetti at the wall kind of experiment. And I know <clears throat> I've used that expression a lot in the last few few months. I'll try to scale it back here <laughs> in the coming months. But that's where it kind of makes me feel more like, oof, is this spaghetti at the wall or is this sound policy? And does that have a tendency to maybe creep into other crises that have popped up where government policy is now, oh gosh, we have to just be creative, creative, creative. Yes. Although I have, like, I, I, I'm a little torn on this in that there, yes, we are seeing, I think, more efforts to just try any old thing. But in and of itself, I don't necessarily see that as a negative because we have clearly gotten to the places we're at on so many files and portfolios through lack of action and lack of trying new things. And, and now I think it's time to perhaps start doing that. And there seems to be that recognition. But in this particular case, I don't necessarily feel like it's just spaghetti at the wall. I do feel like there is science to back it up. Yes, it probably does have a corollary benefit, a strong one of easing hospital wait times. But we're also seeing medical societies talking about how not everyone needs to seek hospital treatment for something. Screening like this could be a good example. So 
this particular case, I think, is a bit more science-driven than some of the other experiments that we've seen happening. And as such, I think there's some value to it, but that doesn't mean that they don't the concerns that Joey yeah. had raised and that I echoed don't still exist, but I don't think it necessarily has to be one or the other. You know what I mean? Like That's it. Oh, for it, sure. When people for are sure. trying new things, I think a lot of it is driven by at least some, some point of data that seems worth mm. to have, it seems, it seems to have some, some merit behind it. It's it's the specificity versus the generality though, that, that maybe the specificity of this particular case is good or this particular kind of testing is good, but I wouldn't want that applied more broadly based on this as the case study, right? Like, like, like that, like, totally that, like yeah. that's, but that's where my concern starts to lie here, Joita, that all of a sudden a, a pilot project or spaghetti at the wall for one thing says, well, why couldn't we do that for everything? And then we start really running into the issues that you identified in regards to people who may not have the resources to do this or the accessibility side that Michelle brought up. Because yeah, there's no doubt, COVID-19 testing, that was not accessible at all. That was a leap of faith mm -hmm. every morning for someone to read a test for you if you had to test every day to go into work. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's um, that the idea of, of testing at home for certain conditions or illnesses is a novel in the in that we've established, I think, that it's that it's been around in some form or the other for a long time, case in point, uh, pregnancy tests. But I think when it comes down to the nitty gritties of testing for certain illnesses or forms of cancer, the question really becomes, well, what are you going to test and how are you going to test it? Uh, and is that and is the thing that you are testing to verify the presence or absence of a particular condition, uh, are those tests reliable? Uh, are they consistent? And can they be scientifically backed up? And I think before um, the government signs off on a particular approach uh, for at-home testing for any particular kind of illness or disease, uh, you know, they have to, for uh, uh, as well as the companies and the uh, other entities that back up the the efficacy of that approach, everybody should be really clear about the science. I mean, can yeah. you think about it as someone's putting on the market a pregnancy test where, you know, it's where it's accurate about, I don't know, 75% of the times or 50% yeah, exactly. of the times, like that would be a disaster yeah. if we had a pregnancy tests that were, um, that were on, you know, that were all over the place. And the reason I mentioned this is because, you know, you say spaghetti on the wall. And I think, you know, when it comes to a lot of public policy issues, uh, we see a lot more of that happening where it's spaghetti on the wall and you have a lot more of that thinking, which is pervasive saying, okay, well, you know, if it works in, in, in this one issue, why don't we give it a shot and see if it'll work in other issues? In fact, more than, you know, cross issue uh, implementation, I would even say that people are very cavalier about jurisdiction. You know, if this thing works in BC, yes. why wouldn't it work in Manitoba? And, you know, maybe Manitoba has a very different landscape or reality when it comes totally. to housing or yeah. food security. Yeah. But when it comes to healthcare, I think we do have more checks and balances in place. We have put more guardrails in place. Uh, and of course, we know, those are the stories that we we flock to. If you hear about medical misconduct or you know any any kind of malfeasance in the healthcare sector, Canadians are understandably up in arms. So I do think that it's a little less spaghetti on the wall. It is a little more science driven. Uh, but of course, as you both noted, we do have a number of accessibility concerns um, and a number of other populations, the homeless populations. I would say anyone who's a bit older. Uh, anyone with comorbidity or issues like dementia, indigenous communities or people in rural Canada who may not have access to these um, kits. So, you yeah. know, or even a family physician well, who might actually be able to interpret oh, the results. So. That, so that's one of these things too, right? That that I, I, I think about the reality of people who don't have the right resources available to them already, medically speaking. Okay, so I took this at-home test. I've got, I've got an address. I've got, I'm at home, I'm online, I can order this thing. 
uh-oh, I've tested positive, or, I've, or I'm showing, uh, I'm showing a, a worrisome symptom. Okay, what now? I'm right back into the system that's going to take three, four months for me to see a doctor, right? Like, it, yeah. it's almost like, okay, thank you for telling me that I have a problem, and now the system still can't help me. But like, so, so like that, like that's one of the things where I land at this morning where I say, hey, this is like a nice little press conference win and the idea might actually be pretty good. But until you start making the structural changes that don't necessitate and the wait times don't necessitate these policies, you still have to actually like treat people if they do test positive. So, the, 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 yeah. you know, surgical, surgical 100%. backlogs yeah. and wait times and ERs at 137 percent capacity in Quebec, you know, I, the, the similar situation in Ontario, BC's at 100 percent right now. So like, these are things that might ease a load a little bit or change the process for an individual patient, but like it doesn't fix the fundamentally broken system. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fix it, but I feel like you, it's it's a thousand small tweaks like this that ultimately might help. You know, there are areas where broader reform is probably necessary, but small tweaks in enough volume do matter. Yeah. And easing pressure points matters. So I don't think yeah, it's, you, you know, I, I wouldn't want to dismiss it on those grounds alone. Oh, yeah. I'm not asking, I'm not asking provinces to solve healthcare in one, in one fell swoop, but I, <laughs> but I worry, I worry sometimes, I worry sometimes that they take one victory on a Tuesday and then they get to go away for three weeks. And crow about it for the rest of the year. Don't you yeah. know, it, that's, that's very fair. Yeah. I, I believe let's, that, that's all. Yeah. All That's right. Fair. All right. Let's 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 leave that there. I've been negative and optimistic enough in one segment. So now we can move on to something different. Coming up next, Montreal's Olympic Stadium needs one billion dollars in repairs. Is it time to tear down the great white whale of Montreal's East End? This is the Now News Panel on AMI TV. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.